This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. We experienced it in midweek. Um, we went through the whole match day experience of when we met up for pre-match meal this morning and a coach journey here and then through the right entrances, etc. And then in the red zone in the changing room. So we can experience all that, but nothing makes up for next week. But saying that, I think what we're trying to do is give them the experience of how it could feel next week. And, and I'm pleased to say, players being players, they got on with it. And the most important bit then is, is out on the pitch. Uh, the performance individually and more importantly collectively. On the Ball kicks off now on BFM 89.9. That was Craig Shakespeare, former Leicester City boss and nowadays he's the assistant head coach at Watford and he is saying that all the teams are ready and gagging for the EPL return. Yay! It's this week. We'll be previewing it. Oh, yes, we will. Thanks for joining me. Uh, I'm Ross. This is On The Ball. And let me introduce the rest of the gang. Hello, Des Corkill. Always a pleasure. And some news on the Malaysia scene as well. We we are building up to the, the Malaysia campaign as well. I'll give you news on that later. Gogs is also here. Hi, Gogs. Hey, I'm back in the office now. And hello, Kish. Hello, hello, Ross. Managed to get back to Ipoh for the first time in, I think, four or five months. As usual, you can contact us, tweet us at BFM Radio. Also, follow us on Instagram and on Facebook. It's BFM Football. Uh, Don't forget, we have started a YouTube channel. So, please subscribe to TFIF on video on YouTube. Got a video coming up for you tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, Let's start then uh, with the Bundesliga where we saw Bayern Munich defeat Borussia Mönchengladbach 2-1. Bayern now moved to within one win of yet another Bundesliga title. Both sides, though, Des, were shorn of attacking talent. Uh, You had no Lewandowski and Müller for Bayern. A player was suspended, and then Marcus Thuram had to go off injured. Still, it was a good game to watch, right? It wasn't bad at all. Uh, the, the scary thing, if you're not a Bayern fan, is that their next generation kicking quite nicely. This Xerxes is a Dutch yeah. fella. Lovely goal that he took. Cuisance has uh, come up through the ranks as well. French young lad. So 20-year-old and a 19-year-old leading the line. Yes, Bayern weren't at their most fluent uh, uh, when they played, but they still played some lovely one-touch football. Uh, Cuisance was unlucky not to get on the score sheet. And Xerxes... Of course, did. I, I do want to revisit, though, the difference of a really top-class goalkeeper makes Manuel Noah made a couple of sensational saves. Jürgen Sommer is perceived to be one of the best goalkeepers going, one of the best with the ball at his feet, and he's given away a really cheap goal. Playing out from the back, if you're not good enough, really does not work. And you don't want to give a goal away like Jürgen Sommer did at uh, Bayern Munich. Yeah, Gogs, when Sommer make that mistake, you thought, oh, Goodness, one team who don't need any favours is Bayern. I mean, exactly, right? How much help do you need? Come on. A game that they've been holding out, and you know these guys are huffing and puffing because, like you said, they were out of sorts for a bit because Sean of a lot of uh, first-team players. And you come up with a gift like that. I mean, Dortmund Dortmund, uh, fans who are watching it must have been kicking themselves. Yeah, and Kish, that young lad, Joshua Zigzi, he looks all right. He's a big unit as well, isn't he? Yeah, he definitely looks great. Um, and I think he showed plenty of composure as well. Uh, because sometimes when, when goalkeepers make mistakes like that, it can sort of catch you off guard. 
uh, but he showed a lot of composure to put the ball in uh, into the net and sort of give Bayern that extra goal. But I, I just want to speak about how frustrating it must be to be a Motion Gladbach fan because when the season restarted, it almost looked like they were perfectly positioned to sort of uh, not just push for a European place, but also just potentially challenge the likes of Leipzig and Borussia Dortmund uh, for, for, for the second spot. Uh, but, but they've now sort of faltered in the last four games, at least. They, they've lost their last two, including this one, and they, they've dropped outside of the European zone at the moment. Um, and this is a really good Mönchengladbach side. We've seen it earlier in the season. They play some brilliant football. Uh, they, they, they're always looking to attack. They're always looking to push opponents up, higher up the pitch. Um, and it's just, if you're a Mönchengladbach fan, it must be just frustrating to see, especially as you're, as you're reaching the tail end of the season, literally, like, like a few games left. Um, this is when you'd want to see your side sort of give everything on the pitch, sort of just push every ounce of their energy left to, to push for that, for that European spot. But at the moment, they've fallen off the pace um, and it'll be interesting to see how they cope with the last two games of the season. Well, the flip side to what you're saying is that I actually reckon Borussia Mönchengladbach are, are not that far away from being the finished article. They also used to be a massive name in the heyday, right, Des? Uh, back in my day, I, I went to some cracking matches involving Borussia Mönchengladbach. We always wondered what part of Germany Borussia was from. but but they had some classic names and so so there's a certain amount of sympathy from the anglophiles on Borussia Mönchengladbach and they've they've uh it's only in the last few years that they've got back to something akin to their status but whoever it is you're just looking for somebody to knock Bayern or at least genuinely compete with Bayern and they go back to that Jürgen Sommer and we had the uh the situation last week as well or when Dortmund played the yeah. difference of a top-class goalkeeper. I'm going to come back to it time and time and time again because it really does make a difference. You give away cheap goals and you're never, ever going to win anything. Well, the closest team to actually put in a challenge is Borussia Dortmund. Where is that Borussia again? They won 1-0 at Dusseldorf. Uh, this kid is a bit special. And by this kid, I mean Erling Braut Haaland. Well, I... I think my kid thinks he's special. I mean, coming on at that time and, you know, that death flick of a hitter. Yeah! And the 95th minute, putting it on top of the top corner. It fell on the far corner or something, right out of the keeper's reach, right? That's, and at that yeah, time, you know. It, it was a terrific header. And he says he's not particularly good in the air. Uh, we said a couple of weeks ago, is Haaland the real thing? I think he is. Uh, at 19, if you're producing those kind of finishes, it's yeah, exactly. um, terrific. Exactly. To... Uh, to emphasize your point, at 19, he's doing that type of finishes at the 95th minute. You know, what you only can grow from there. And in the stature, yes, he's, he's got all, he's got the height now. And he, he was pointing to his head because I think what, he, what uh, you were saying, he's not good in the air for yeah. him to score at that time, right? Yeah, and you can see, Kish, how he actually craned his neck to get in that header. He really is the real deal at 19. <laughs> <laughs> he, looks, he looks exceptionally uh, matured beyond his age. Um, and the thing about Harlan is, even when you watch him play, and I think part of the reason why a lot of people keep raising these questions about is he the, the deal, the, the real deal, because when you watch, like when you compare it to how people reacted when they first watched Mbappe burst into the scene, everyone reacted positively to Mbappe. And mm-hmm. I think it's got to do with the style of his play, which is very quick, he's very nifty, he's, he's got a lot of pace, he looks, he looks like a baller on the pitch. 
Whereas Erling brought Haaland can sometimes look a little bit awkward with his runs and his movements because he's a big guy and he's, he's, he's trying to also use his space. And it, that sometimes sort of make him look you know, lesser of a footballer than maybe someone like Kylian Mbappe looks like on the pitch. But when it comes to producing the goods, Haaland is clearly producing all the goods at the moment. He's scoring consistently. I mean, to, 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 to justify this, he was out with an injury, Ross, um, like for the past few games. And he comes back, comes off the bench and just, you know, continues that hot streak. Sorry, can I jump in? I think what uh, Keish was saying, he reminds me of uh, basically Ruth Van Nistelrooy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Ruth's still more polished for me. Uh, how good are this Dortmund side then? Haaland's goal was the 25th scored by a teenager this season in the Bundesliga. Uh, it's a pretty well-oiled business, what they're doing at Dortmund. Don't you think, Des? Uh, clearly, they're doing something right, but uh, it depends what the objectives of the business are. Is the objective of the business to genuinely compete and become a European superpower? Or is it to uh, just be the best of the rest in, in Germany and, and sell on your assets, the best teams, don't sell on their, their key assets. So, um, so that is an interesting one. Clearly, it works for Dortmund. Remember, they were bankrupt as well. Even yeah. though they won the European Cup in 97, they were bankrupt, uh, almost going out of business. So what they're doing is eminently sensible, um, very enjoyable to watch. Yeah. Uh, and they're doing it against VAR, which seems to so often count against them. They were nearly robbed of a winning goal by that VAR culprit once again. Guerrero, what planet are we on that that goal is disallowed on retrospective look on VAR? It is bonkers. 100% agree with you on that one, Des Corkill. Let's look at the best of the rest then. Let's start by looking at Leipzig. They played on Friday, winning 2-0 at Hoffenheim. All eyes were, of course, on Timo Werner, but it was a young 24-year-old Spaniard who stole the headlines with a brace, Danny Olmo. Yeah, so this goes back to what you were saying. I mean, look at the stats on the league, right, of all the young players scoring and all that. And this league has shown uh, a new generation of players coming through. And this uh, whole COVID thing has also exposed the Bundesliga to a different whole audience, I would think. And all these people are coming up in the radars of all this, uh, especially Asians, who actually all this while were only watching, majority were watching the Premier League. And now with the Bundesliga uh, uh, meals coming in daily for you to watch, weekly for you to watch, this is giving them a platform that players, like, like you said, you had to Google it, but you know, a couple of games in, players in Leipzig now are household names in Asia. Yeah. Players in Dortmund yeah. are household names in Asia. And soon somebody's going to find out where Borussia is. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Looking towards the bottom of the Bundesliga, Werder Bremen won big at Paderborn. Uh, Paderborn are all but relegated, right? Uh, no, they are relegated, I think, Paderborn. Paderborn are, are down, or the very best they can get is in the playoff. Dusseldorf, that defeat against Dortmund killed them. Sorry, I need to go back to uh, the uh, Hoffenheim game because there's yeah. another ridiculous VAR uh, decision in there. Yeah. Uh, a, a penalty early on against uh, Leipzig. Uh, it's brushed off somebody's hand in the build-up. The referee's given the penalty. He's gone back to VAR. There's no way the fella can move his hand, his, his arm out of the way. It's changed the whole complexion of the game. That came in the fifth minute. A minute later, uh, Leipzig went down the other end and scored. So VAR, sorry, I'm, I'm, got, I'm on a crusade here. I may well no. lose it. But no. it's, the, 
it's there to cause uh, to, to to solve problems, and it's causing more problems than it's solving. Totally, totally justified with your rants on VAR this week, Des. Uh, Bremen, Kish, are are they going to survive? They're a massive name if they go down. Yeah, massive name. And I was just look, looking at the game and I noticed uh, Davy Klassen scored twice. I know. I remember him at Everton, right? A header as well. <laughs> with all them. the struggles, yeah. With, with the amount of hopes that he came into Goodison Park with, uh, but under-delivered. But, I, I mean, Davy Klassen is obviously a great player. He, he, he was... Um, he was a very important part of the Ajax side um, that made the Europa League final a few years ago against Manchester United. Um, and, and it's good to just see him back on his strides because uh, I remember a couple of months ago reading a piece on The Athletic. Uh, there was a very candid, in-depth interview with Davy Klassen where he talks about his struggles in general um, in England and, uh, and how much of a relief it was for him to get the move to Germany. So it's good to just see him back on his feet. But yeah, Word of Bremen are a big team. Uh, and this was a much-needed win. They had lost twice uh, on, the, on the trot prior to this. Um, and with the, just three leagues games uh, left, they, they desperately need to claw up the points because there's a bit of a gap between them and, and Mainz. And even Mainz, it's, 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 it's not safe if you're looking to be 15th on the table to escape relegation. You've got to keep looking to push up a bit with three games left. Uh, there's a bit of a gap between them and, and Union Berlin who are up there with 35 points. Um, so it's going to be tight. It's, it's really going to be tight. You've got two sides, Dusseldorf, Bremen and Mainz. Three sides competing for just one secure spot. Uh, and and Bremen, really, really Bremen have got to play Mainz in two games. So Bremen yeah. have got Bayern Munich next. Exactly. And then they've got a, they've, they've got a cracker <laughs> against Mainz. Well, let's kind of look forward to that Bayern midweek game. If Bayern win, it's their eighth consecutive title in the bag. They're going to do it, right, guys? It, it's, it surely is going to happen. And I think the, the more interesting bit, there's, there's two interesting parts to this. Uh, three interesting parts, I think, in the Bundesliga. One is the battle for the second place, which I think will boil down to the week after this when Borussia Dortmund play Leipzig itself. Yeah. And I think that will be the decider who finishes second. Then it's that race for the top four because there's five teams at the moment. There's four teams sort of competing for the top four. Uh, Leverkusen and, and Gladbach, it'll boil down to them. And then it's the relegation battle. So there's... there's Quite a bit of stuff still to look forward to in the Bundesliga. Brilliant. Your midweek games then are Bremen versus Bayern. You've got Dortmund against Mainz. Leipzig versus Dusseldorf. And we'll talk about it all next week. Very short break. When we return, it's La Liga. This match would normally have over 80,000 pairs of eyes trained on it. But now... On the ball on BFM 89.9. Brilliantly done. On the ball on BFM 89.9. Wonderful control and superb execution. Welcome back to On the Ball in Isolation with me, Ross, along with uh, Des Corkill, Goglin, uh, and Kish. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. I know I keep banging on about it, but have you subscribed yet? It's TFIF on video on YouTube. Right, we are talking about La Liga. Uh, made its return on Friday with the Sevilla derby. Uh, Des, I'm going to come to you first uh, and, and we're going to talk about the stadium because the Sevilla stadium looks absolutely spectacular. Yes, it was. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit reluctant to talk about the non-football <laughs> side of things, but this did work. As to be fair, did Real Madrid's uh, Stadio di Stefano. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that worked really well. So I, I think there's um, there's a real lesson here for 
Asian clubs who very often don't dress up their stadia, um, particularly in Malaysia, if, if, if the games are empty, you can make them look um, really, really spectacular, visually exciting. Uh, significantly better than Arsenal's old North Bank wall that they had uh, the moral, the moral uh, a few years ago. This was, yeah, it added a certain specialness to the occasion, which I think really did add to it. Uh, I still hate the piped-in sound, but the, the ambiance was much improved. And as it should be, Sevilla versus Betis is a huge game and Sevilla are, are chasing a Champions League slot. So uh, they've got to take it seriously. Yep, Ocampos certainly was the star in that game. One goal, one assist, but of course, all eyes were on Leo Messi. Mallorca nil, Barcelona 4. Leo with a goal and two assists. An absolute joy to watch. Yeah, it was. I mean, uh, that uh, cross from Braithwaite and to set up the goal in 66 seconds and get them on your way. But uh, that kid from... Um, is it German or Japanese or what? The one that was on yeah. the uh, Japanese, is it? Kubo. Kubo. Oh, yeah, he's, he was quite, yeah, good to watch. Kept, kept uh, them on their feet. And, but, you know, that last goal by Messi could, I mean, even with his right foot, he gets a deflection and goes in top corner. This <laughs> is a lot. <laughs> yeah, I actually forgot that they signed Martin Braithwaite. They cruelly ripped him away from a, another La Liga club. Uh, Kish, do, do Barca look like they can lift the title for you? Yeah, uh, they definitely look like it if you're judging by that 4-0 performance. There was a really good tweet that really had me um, laughing when I, when I saw it last night. Someone posted a tweet saying that I really genuinely feel for the Mallorca players. Imagine sitting out of football for three months plus you know, and, and rotting on the sidelines. And in your first game back, you're told about <laughs> Lionel Messi. There's <laughs> the kind of pressure that, that, that it puts on you. I mean, but yeah, it, 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 it was a one-sided game. Uh, Barcelona completely dominated. Uh, there were bits and pieces of, of opportunities for Mallorca, but at, at no point did it look like Barcelona's ability to, to clinch all three points was going to be a threat. And they were able to comfortably get that win. Um, and, but it's still, it's still pretty close between them and, and Real Madrid. And as much as you'd like to look at the performance and say, hey, this is the kind of performance that makes Barcelona worthy of being champions. But the reality is that it's only two points between yeah. them and Real Madrid. And there's still yeah. a bit of games to go. Um, and in that span of time, if either one of Barcelona or Real Madrid dropped the point, then the other would just climb up and sort of dominate. Two points, it's, it's still not game over. It's still all yeah. to play for. Yeah, well, it's two points because Real beat Ibar 3-1. The match was at their training ground, the Estadio de Alfredo de Stefano, um, which is, I understand, has exactly the same measurements as the Bernabeu. As you would do. I mean, that's uh, basic professionalism. You train on the kind of uh, pitch that you're going to play on. Um, the same measurements. Why would you change it? Uh, they, they also dressed up the atmosphere, which made it very good. But Tony Cruz's goal inside three minutes. My word. You, you, you're talking about the Mallorca players uh, have, have, uh, having to worry. Imagine being the, uh, the, the Ibar goalkeeper and you know you've been training, you're fit, you're strong, and the first shot you get pings into the top right hand, left hand corner. I think, well, the life is just not fair. But, uh, so, yeah. but going, back, going back to the, the stadium, this is a really sensible thing. Yeah. Uh, when, when things are sensible, they're obvious. I, I, I need to refer this into, uh, into Asian football again. Very often we see things that just are not, do not make logical sense. Real Madrid, 
They can't use their stadium. So let's bring the renovations forward while we can't use the stadium. And so when we can use the stadium, the renovations are done. Logical, just logical. Uh, just a little bit of common sense from um, the biggest club on the planet. Cruz, Ramos and Marcelo with the goals. It was Zidane's 200th game in charge. That is actually a massive landmark for a Real Madrid manager, Gogs. Only the third manager, right, to do this or exactly. something like that? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, they, they, like what Kish saying, the title for the, the La Liga title, I think, is still going to go down the wire because, you know, not many teams are going to obviously offer that much of uh, defence, but, you know, not every day Barcelona is going to pull that kind of performance out. And, you know, Real are going to be nipping at their heels and the way they would play, they looked at a quite polished side. Just to come out, I mean, the teams that are just coming out after not playing for so long and playing in, in this style, you, I mean, albeit the opponents are also, but like you said, it's going to, it's two points. Two games in, it's, there's going to be a lot, of, a, lot, a lot to watch on this one. Well, La Liga is very exciting towards the bottom. Uh, Espanyol are bottom, but they won 2-0 at the weekend. Leganes is level on points in 19th. you got Mallorca, you got Celta, you got Aiba, all very close. All can potentially go down. Exciting stuff, Keish. Yeah, it really is. Um, it's, it's super competitive at the bottom. The, the thing about the La Liga is that it always takes a bit of stick for how... Uh, dominant, you have clubs at the top. Uh, who are, it's almost certain who are who are the ones going to, that are going to be competing for the title on a on a yearly basis. Uh, but obviously, a league is beyond just two teams competing to win the title. A league is about you know eighteen other teams who are also fighting for spots within the standings, um, fighting to avoid relegation. And the same thing can be said of the Bundesliga as well. Yeah. It has always had the reputation of being a one-horse league. Uh, where Bayern Munich just completely dominate. But if you look at the table, you, you look at the list of German clubs that have competed in the Champions League over the last 10 years, there's a huge chunk of them. Werder Bremen, one of them, are trying to avoid relegation at the moment. Um, mm. and, and, and you, you, you look at, you look at, uh, at uh, La Liga, Espanyol are a pretty big club. You, you, you go to Barcelona, you, you don't just see uh, Barcelona scarves, you also see Espanyol scarves everywhere. Uh, they, they are a pretty big club as well. And, and they are rooted to the bottom of the table. So there's a lot of excitement, obviously, to, to, to look forward to. I am in particular, uh, I mean, beyond, beyond the, the battle for the league supremacy, what I'm personally looking forward to is to see how Eden Hazard copes. Because he has not had a good, good start uh, to, his, to life at Real Madrid. He's struggled with, uh, with his positions. He's had a bit of an injury problem. He's, he's had problems with, with uh, being overweight. But now it's, it's a fresh new opportunity for him to stake his claim. Uh, apparently, pressure is mounting on his shoulders. Um, and now, with playing without fans, um, they're expecting that to be lesser of a burden. Because you know what the Bernabeu crowd can be like at times as well. And this is uh, the chance for Hazard to prove himself. Because you know, Florentino Perez isn't exactly the most patient human being out there on the planet. No. Um, and when, when the time comes, he'll, be start, he'll, he'll start to knock on the door and, and, and be asking questions. Ah, but he's so lovable though, isn't he, Florentino Perez? As for Eden Hazard, I think he's just brought it on onto himself, really. I mean, if you're the cover star of FIFA 20, you've got to live up to the hype. Midweek round of La Liga matches. Uh, Barca host Leganes. 
Wednesday, 4 a.m. Real are at home to Valencia. That's the standout tie. Uh, that one is early Friday morning. We're, we're off for another very short break. We're going to return with the Coppa Italia. Stay tuned. Plenty to aim for, and again, it drops in such a dangerous area. On the ball on BFM 89.9. But what a chance that was. Right on the stroke of our time. On the ball on BFM 89.9. And we are back. Hey, thanks for sticking around. It's On the Ball with me, Ross, and my special guests, Des Corkill, uh, Gogs, as well as Kishnan. You can tweet us at BFM Radio. You can follow us on social media. It's uh, BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook as well. EPL preview coming right up for you. Uh, First though, Italian football made its return this week as well. And it returned in the form of the Coppa Italia semi-final second legs. It was Juve nil, Milan nil in one of the semi-finals. Enough to get Juventus to the final because it was 1-1 in the first leg. Uh, Des, it was a game where Cristiano returned he looked fitter than before the lockdown, but unfortunately missed the penalty. Well, firstly, uh, it was like watching uh, a reserve English game because you had so many players. You had Ashley Young and Christian Eriksen, a very good quality reserve English <laughs> game. Parker was there. Uh, who else? Uh, Victor Moses came on at yeah. one stage. So it's difficult to remember. Even Alexis Sanchez came on for the last 20 <laughs> minutes or so. And, and, so which is which is about all he can handle, and but he he came close, and uh, Conte is one of the one of the coaches, so it was it was a bit strange, but um again being of a certain era, uh, which is a, a when Milan dominated, yeah. uh, but either Inter or AC Milan, so Inter in my earlier days under the the, the much uh, hated Catanaccio system, and then uh, the Baresi team of AC Milan, I always think that Italian football is a little poorer when the Milano clubs aren't uh, really punching their way to the top. So to see them both go out in a, in a semi-finals, even though the Italians don't take the Coppa Italia as seriously, but see them both go out in the semi-finals, kind of tugged at the old heartstrings. Saying that, it's great that Napoli are competing genuinely to, take, to make that a more competitive uh, league, league at the top in Italy. So to answer your question, I, w- I was never a huge fan of Italian football. I hated the way that they played in those, the stadiums with the, um, with the running tracks around with them. I thought many of the atmospheres were, were false. Uh, the 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 the, um, the the curvers had nothing to do with football in in, in <laughs> much much of the ways they were very political. So I've I've, I've taken an interest without being passionately a supporter of Italian football. But uh, Gog's quite rightly said if you if you put two stars like Dries Martins and uh, Ronaldo, great marketability. But I won't be watching. <laughs> no, because the EPO will be on. Sorry, uh, Serie A and and the Copa. But Kish, who have you got to win it? Uh, I, every, I think most of the, the neutrals will want Napoli, right? Because you based like this this Ronaldo yeah. machine. Yeah, and if I'm judging by what what I watched in both these games, um, the highlights at the very least, um, I think Napoli have the edge because obviously both teams are coming out of long, a long period of of uh, inaction, um, and Juventus in particular. To be honest, under Maurizio Sarri, they haven't exactly been very impressive. No. Um, I mean, they, they they're competing at the top, but there've been a lot of criticisms about um, how they are making uh, use of players like Cristiano Ronaldo, how they are. Um, there are a lot of criticisms about the fact that they let go um, Emre Chan, and you look at Emre Chan and, and the levels at which he's performing with Borussia Dortmund, um, and 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 I'm not 
the biggest fan of Juventus style of play under Maurizio Sarri. They've got really, really good players, and I just don't. And I think a vast majority of fans even don't feel that they're getting the best out of these players. Um, and, but if you're purely judging it from how they both performed in the semi-finals, I think Napoli showed a lot more grit. Um, I think Napoli showed a lot more uh, a, a desire and, and, and ability to sort of penetrate defences. Um, and, and I think that could count for something in the final. And it, it'll, be, it'll mean a lot for, for the people of... If you're, if you're talking purely from the point of view of, of passion, a lot of these Juventus players are used to winning trophies, right? And, and especially in the context of what we're talking about at the moment, uh, we're talking about a football world where fans aren't allowed to the stadiums. Um, you can imagine the kind of team talk that would happen inside the Napoli dressing room about what this would mean for the people of Naples. Um, and, and I think that that could just be slightly enough, just uh, edge them over the mark in the final. Yeah. It'll, be a very, it'll, be, it'll be very odd though, because Stadio Olimpico is a massive, massive ground. And it, to, to be playing in a ground like that with massive running tracks around, completely empty, it's like playing at the Bukit Jalil without any fans. <laughs> it's really, really odd. That, that happens all the time though, right? Be nice. Play nicely, Gogs. Play nicely. All right. No, I, was asking, I was going to ask Keisha, who's doing the team talk at the Napoli dressing room? Is it going to be the manager or certain men in suits? With, with, with sunglasses on. Uh, the, the Coppa Italia final then uh, is Wednesday night, so Thursday morning, 3 a.m. kickoff. It is from the Stadio Olimpico in Rome and uh, we'll tell you what happens next week. Right, final break then. When we come back, we'll preview the return of the EPL. Yeah. The waiting is almost over. The Premier League is back. And it's live. On the ball on BFM 89.9. That's it. It's all over. This is a big win. On the ball on BFM 89.9. And we are back, back previewing the EPL, which returns on Wednesday. Two matches, uh, the four clubs who have their game in hand, and we're going to preview both matches for you. Uh, joining me, uh, we've got Des Corkill, we've got Kishnan, and we've also got Gogolin, our resident Aston Villa fan. And that's the game we're starting with, Gogs. Aston Villa currently in 19th. Uh, take on Sheffield United. It's a Thursday 1am kickoff. Now, let, let's set the scene a little. Uh, before the break, Villa lost four in a row. They slipped down to 19th, but maybe the enforced break has come at a good time. You've got players back, and what's the outlook from the Villa fan point of view, Gogolin? Like you said, that break came in really handy because now we got McGinn back and we got Wesley back. Uh, like four games in a trot, really, we were down. And honestly, as a Villa fan, we didn't deserve to stay in the league if we were playing really this kind of football. With teams and Sheffield United has shut this, has set the standard for teams coming up. I mean, look at that. And we're playing Sheffield United now, and they are going to be gunning for a Champions League spot. And we are trying to stay in. We spent so much money, bought a couple of players. We still don't know what system we are playing at the back. We keep changing it around. We got to stop conceding silly goals. We do. We play such good football, but then we we concede such silly goals at the back. And this league is unforgiving in that at that at, that, at this level. So you know. I, I, I'm just hoping that we get home advantage is gone now. Yeah. I was, you know, we, we really had really good home advantage and that's gone now because there's no fans and everything. That might be a pro, it might be a con. I'm not sure yet with the Premier League. Uh, really still pulling the string. So yeah, I, I have to be positive. 
you know, but yeah. you know. Well, well, when you've got Jack Grealish, um, he, he's a star, but, but John McGinn is, is massive. Uh, he's better than Danny Drinkwater, isn't he, Des? <laughs> Poor old Danny Drinkwater. <laughs> he gets a, a lot of um, stick. So Jack, Danny Drinkwater had a couple of terrific seasons and th then he was expected to, to kick on and become a world-class player and, and didn't. Um, I'm just thinking, sorry, my focus was more on Sheffield United and I'm, I'm wondering if they're going to be able to maintain their remarkable yeah. start because Sheffield United are in touching distance of a Champions League place and they've done it in, in a strange old way. They've, they've been nice to watch, but boring at the same time. It, um, they, they get defenders forward, but when a defender goes forward, others drop in to cover, which is, which is great teamwork. But the end result hasn't been for great entertainment. They've only scored 30 goals, I think, uh, but their, their defensive record is very good. Now, if they've been able to maintain that same um, momentum from before the break, it's a three-month break, let's not forget. So the teams are almost starting afresh. Um, then they could really cause an upset. They could get one of the big six to be out of the Champions League. Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah, well, uh, let, let it, let's concentrate a bit on Sheffield United. Quiche, certainties for relegation when, when the season began. Uh, like, like everyone's saying, they're now chasing a Champions League spot. Uh, big news is that Dean Henderson has been renewed, the, the Man United on-loan goalkeeper. Um, they're looking good. Uh, do, do you reckon they'll achieve top, top six, top four? Oh, that's, that's the most exciting part, Ross, because we have absolutely no idea. As, as Des pointed out, this is like a whole new season starting all over again. Um, and it really matters what kind of preparation went into um, the season. And it, it, you've got to treat it like a compressed 10-game or an 8-game new season. Because everything that counts now is who gets off the block the quickest. Because that, that particular club will then have that momentum to sort of end the season really, really strongly. And for, and for Sheffield United, make no mistakes. Um, I was one of them who expected uh, Sheffield to go down. When, when you looked at the sort of business that they were making uh, in the transfer market before the season started, I thought to myself, okay, maybe this is going to be a bit difficult. But honestly, I, I'm, I'm glad to be, to be eating my words because Chris Wilder has been absolutely phenomenal. British managers get a lot of stick for supposedly being old school, for supposedly um, not having the uh, tactical innovation that uh, you know, managers from continental Europe generally have. But uh, Chris Wilder has just completely shut all those arguments down with, with such an, an innovative brand of football and, 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 uh, and it's this uh, tactical ingenuity that, that has propelled Sheffield United to seventh place. You know, the, we've heard all about it, right? Your, your overlapping fullbacks. We've heard about how he uses um, Oliver Norwood at, at, at the heart of that midfield. Um, and, and it's a really, really positive thing to see from a British manager. Um, and I think for neutrals, we, we saw the Leicester City story and we all enjoyed it. And this is not quite the Leicester City story, but it's up there for a team like Sheffield United to just be promoted and be pushing for a Champions League. It's, it's absolutely incredible. And I genuinely hope, from the point of view of a neutral, I genuinely hope they do it. Even if it comes at the expense of Man United, honestly, Ross. Like, you wouldn't want to see Sheffield United in the Champions League. Question is, question is though, can they get off the block quickly? Because that'll be the biggest challenge. Plus, they've got to start winning more games, I think, uh, Ross. Yeah. Uh, they've drawn a lot. Wrong. And as you come into the final 10 match of the season, it's the wins that will propel you rather than the draws. 
Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, this game is going to be crucial at both for both ends of the table. Then it's the the first game back uh, for us uh, EPL followers. It's 19th spot Aston Villa versus seventh place Sheffield United. It's a 1 a.m. kickoff. Uh, on Thursday morning. The other game, straight after that, at 3.15, you've got second place Man City against Arsenal in ninth. Um, Pep Guardiola lost his mum to the coronavirus. Uh, Mikel Arteta was the first manager uh, who contracted the disease and, and that pretty much brought around the, the shutdown of, of the league. Uh, but that aside, there's Man City as, uh, versus Arsenal is a standout game at any time of the season. Certainly is. And I think what we will find out here is uh, how good Mikel Arteta is in these next 10 games. He's still on probation by many Arsenal fans. Uh, highly touted in, in the game. Obviously worked under Pep Guardiola. Uh, has he had an opportunity to work out how best to utilise Lacazette and Aubameyang up front and the, and the kids coming through? Has he worked out how to sort out these silly goals that they've conceded? Because they're currently what, ninth in the table, um, even though Arteta only took over halfway through. He's effectively, all coaches effectively had a pre-season. So if they don't come out absolutely flying, I think questions will be asked about Mikel Arteta. The problem he's got is that his first game is Man City. Man City will not want to give up the title easily. Yeah, everyone's saying Liverpool, 25 points clear, two more victories and that's it. But Man City will uh, push them as much and as hard as they, they possibly can. They're a brilliant team. But my question on this is, is Mikel Arteta the real deal? Yeah, fair question as well. Let's just take a look at Man City then, Gogs. Um, in the reverse match, it was a Kevin De Bruyne masterclass. He scored two. Uh, he set one up for Raheem Sterling. I mean, you, you, you look, if, if City have had a preseason like Arsenal, and if they've done it right with Pep, they'd be quite formidable, wouldn't they? They are. I, mean, well, I, I beg to disagree that, uh, that uh, City are going to give Liverpool a push. I think City have already given up the Premier League. You know, it's, it's the Champions League now or nothing for them. And uh, I don't know what in what aspect the Champions League is going to be. So it's going to be actually a shorter Champions League, which is actually make, makes sense for them now. So I think they will be more concentrating on the Champions League. This is their, going to be one of their best shots for the Champions League. So, and, you know, I don't really think they... I know they've given up the league already. It's going to take a catastrophic uh, self-implosion of Liverpool for anything to happen right now. And I, every football fan knows that. And I think all City players know that also. Yes, in the PR thing to say is they will be pushing them to the limit, but I personally don't think they are. 2020, yeah. Gogs, and you're taking things for granted after all that's <laughs> happened this year. <laughs> and that's honestly, that's honestly the point, Ross. Uh, like, if you look at, I mean, if we got it, if you remember the glimpses that we got of Pep Guardiola and the kind of um, perspectives that he tries to drill into his players through the all-or-nothing Amazon Prime um, TV show. I think Guardiola is the kind of guy who will always try to find a way to sort of drill his players. And I think the most fascinating bit about, about Man City and the context of how the league is restarting is, okay, you're so many points behind Liverpool, but you've got a considerable amount of games to play. Yeah. How do you drill into the players that there's something to be done? there's something to be accomplished. Uh, because I don't think Pep is the kind of guy who is willing to just throw in the towel and just let you know, the game stick, stick by itself. I think he's a very competitive guy. He, he, he likes to portray himself as a nice guy, but he's 
he's ultra competitive and i think that ultra competitiveness will get will sort of push him to find a way to get his place um uh, to, to drive and, and and i agree with this i mean i i think obviously liverpool are like you know they, they're just sort of just crawling towards the towards the title at this point but this is 2020 euros we've seen so much in the last four months um and, and at this point if liverpool self-capitulate i wouldn't even be surprised anymore well godzilla oh, will that, that would be a party in the streets of manchester <laughs> no forget that we, we, we've got we've got godzilla versus king kong to look forward to or something it's 2020 all right let's wrap up this this little preview then with predictions from everybody and we're going to start with you des uh, Villa against Sheffield United. Score prediction, please. A goalless, I'm afraid. We're going to get off to a damp squid because uh, Villa are desperate for the point. Sheffield United don't score enough goals. So, uh, goalless uh, for me, or at the very best, uh, a low scoring draw. What about you, Gogs? Surely the Villa for the two, win. 2 1 to the Villa. 2 1 to the Villa. Scorers? Um, again, trademark free kick. <laughs> and hopefully Wesley <laughs> and Wesley uh, and with an assist from Jack Grealish undoubtedly uh, Keish Sheffield United to win then huh yeah I'm a big Sheffield United fan and I think Chris Wilder is going to be silencing everyone yet again um, Sheffield United to win this one 2-0 I'm going to text you I'm going to text you in the morning <laughs> <laughs> uh, alright quick round for Man City versus Arsenal then Des what's going to happen uh, Man City uh, they're used to playing in front of empty stadiums, so that won't really make a difference to them. Wow. <laughs> How long have you been waiting to say that? <laughs> oh, damn. All, waiting all along to show. Cogs, City, City, Arsenal. City, City, 2-0. And Kish? Yeah, I think I, I can't see a way um, Arsenal get something out of this. Um, I think City will dominate this one and get a win as well. Well, it's all City and um, we've got, we've got well, one Aston Villa hopeful and probably a goalless draw, like Des said. That's the football you've got to look forward to uh, this week. Uh, for now, let me thank the guys. Uh, thanks to Des, thanks to Keish. Thanks to you, Gogs, as well. Uh, thanks to everybody for, for listening. Uh, of course, we'll be back next week. Have a great week, everybody. Bye-bye. Some people are on the pitch. They think it's all over. Follow BFM Football on Facebook and catch On The Ball on BFM 89.9. It is now. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.